Well, hello and welcome. You are listening to The Spiritual Exercises. I'm Rachel Amaday. Thank you for being here. We're going to have some fun today with this piece of evidence that I'm bringing. I feel like as I'm researching the evidences of these biblical accounts and Bible stories, I'm coming across a lot of newer discoveries. And I think that's because we have better technology now. So we're better able to analyze maybe what we've already found, number one, but number two, we are having an easier time finding these pieces or, and this is also possible, I believe that God wants us to find these things, share them, know them, because he is so good about giving people a chance to choose him. I feel like God will chase after you with evidence of who he is. And I I say this all the time, just like you can't see the wind, but you can see the evidence of the wind. You know, sometimes you can't see God, but you can see the evidence of his work and his character all around you. However, in this case, you're going to see actual evidence of biblical accounts. And that's why I started this series. I also started this series because I was getting into conversations with atheists a lot. And at first I thought I'm going to do an answering atheist series where I answer some of their biggest problems with the Bible. And I went and I looked up some of the most well-known atheists and what they've created um, as arguments against scripture. And I did find, and I think it was Sam Harris who created this, I did find a group that had created a long list of problems with scriptures, scripture verses and inaccuracies they were claiming were inaccuracies. And then when I started researching time after time again, the biggest reason they had a problem with the scripture is because they had no understanding of the Hebrew language or biblical languages, and they had not taken the time to do any research on their own. They just laid claim based on an English reading of the story, and, and these were very small, minute, you know, not not hefty claims. They were more language issues. And I thought, you know, this is so boring. I don't want to go down this path. But what I could do, because I've come across so much evidence of Bible stories over the years, I could go back, find all of that, put it together, and share that. And so uh, I try to get out at least two podcasts a week. This is going to be the second for the coming weeks for the foreseeable future. And then we're going to add in some guests, which I'm super excited about. Um, And also, I sometimes share music. So Hang on, we're going to have a really fun 2023, and thank you for being here. So today, I'm really excited to share with you a piece that actually exists in the Louvre Museum in Paris. I was just there. I was just at the Louvre, and I've got to tell you, it is an extraordinary place filled with all sorts of history, unbelievable art. I mean, it was such a magnificent experience. I got to see a lot at the Louvre. And of course, we did kind of the popular things. You know, we went and saw the Mona Lisa. Um, We saw the Hall of Rubens. Uh, We did the Egyptian uh, area for a little bit, and I got to see some of that. I've always been fascinated by Egyptian history because it was so great and powerful. And then all of a sudden, it wasn't, and it hasn't been since. And that actually is prophetic fulfillment from Ezekiel. And I'd love to cover this someday, but there is a verse in Ezekiel Um, that says, yet thus that says the Lord God, at the end of the 40 years, I will gather the Egyptians from the peoples among who they were scattered. So they were scattered um, for 40 years and then they were regathered. 
And the Bible says this, I will bring back the captives of Egypt and cause them to return to the land of Pathros, to the land of their origin. And there they shall be a lowly kingdom. It shall be the lowliest of kingdoms. It shall never again exalt itself above the nations for I will diminish them so that they will not rule over the nations anymore. Um, this happened, right? And Egypt has stayed um, a, a non-world power since this time period. It had, I guess, a brief uh, time of some power in the Middle Ages, but it really never returned to its stature or state. Again, once again, we have the Bible, biblical prophecy coming true. But that's not our topic today. Today is this piece um, that is now at the Louvre. And I missed it. And I'm sad. I wish I would have known before I went. Uh, because I would have tried to go find this piece. It is called the Mesha Stel. Now, this was first discovered in 1868 near the Dead Sea. Okay, so it's made, and I, I put a picture in in here for you, but this is a smoothed block of basalt. It's about a meter tall and 60 centimeters wide. And it was discovered at Diban near the Jordan. This was the Moabite capital of Diban. Okay. According to the New World Encyclopedia, I quote, the inscription of 34 lines is the most extensive document ever recovered, referring contemporaneously to ancient Israel. So this is kind of an important discovery. And so it was discovered in 1868. So we've had it for a long time. So what's new and special about this now? Uh, well, its inscription was written in the language of the ancient Moabite people. And it recounts a war between the Moabite people and the Jews. But much of the writing is difficult to decipher due to, I mean, it's old, right? Long centuries of wear and tear. However, it has been believed previous to recently that this inscription is recounting a conflict described in first kings or sorry second kings three now i want to go ahead and read that to you um this is a bible podcast after all let's go to second kings three and see what it has to say Joram, son of ahab became king of israel in samaria in the 18th year of jehoshaphat king of judah and he reigned 12 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but not as his father and mother had done. He got rid of the sacred stone of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he clung to the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He did not turn away from them. Now, Mesha, king of Moab. So here's this king. Okay, this thing's called, sorry, this is an aside. This is called the Mesha Stel. So here's where this king is referenced in the Bible. Okay, verse four. Now Mesha, king of Moab, raised sheep, and he had to pay the king of Israel a tribute of a hundred thousand lambs and the wool of a hundred thousand rams. But after Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So at that time, King Joram set out from Samaria and mobilized all Israel. He also sent this message to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? I will go with you, he replied. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. By what route shall we attack, he asked. Through the desert of Edom, he answered. So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals with them. What? exclaimed the king of Israel. Has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab? But Jehoshaphat asked, is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? 
An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Elisha said to the king of Israel, Why do you want to involve me? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. No, the king of Israel answered, Because it was the Lord who called us three kings together to deliver us into the hands of Moab. Elisha said, As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, if I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not pay any attention to you. But now bring me a harpist. I love this part. This part's so interesting to me. Okay. Elisha's like, all right, fine. Bring me a harpist. Bring me some music. Fascinating. And while the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came on Elisha and he said, this is what the Lord says. I will fill this valley with pools of water for this is what the Lord says. You will see neither wind nor rain. Yet this valley will be filled with water and you, your cattle and your other animals will drink. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also deliver Moab into your hands. You will overthrow every fortified city and every major town. You will cut down every good tree, stop up all the springs and ruin every good field with stones. The next morning about that time for, the, for offering the sacrifice, there it was, water flowing from the direction of Edom, and the land was filled with water. Now all the Moabites had heard that the kings had come to fight against them. So every man, young and old, who could bear arms was called up and stationed on the border. When they got up early in the morning, the sun was shining on the water. To the Moabites across the way, the water looked red, like blood. That's blood, they said. Those kings must have fought and slaughtered each other. Now to the plunder, Moab. But when the Moabites came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and fought them until they fled. And the Israelites invaded the land and slaughtered the Moabites. They destroyed the towns and each man threw a stone on every good field until it was covered. They stop up all the springs and cut down every good tree. Okay, so they win. So that's 2 Kings 3. That's the account of the story. So let's go back here. Um... This Meshastel recounts a war between the Moabite people and the Jews. Okay, so why do they think it's this war? We're going to get into that. Historians at the University of Southern California recently analyzed the Stel. And, and by the way, here is the new reason we're talking about this, because we've had this thing for a long time. There is a new technology called reflectance transformation imaging. And this basically allows for a damaged section of the stele to be read and to confirm not only the recounting of this conflict in more detail, but in the language of the stele, what they discovered. And, and previous, and we'll talk about this, previous historians had thought this, but they couldn't confirm it. They could not confirm that this was part of the language of the stele. Now, using this reflectance transformation imaging, we know that the house of David is referenced in the stele. Obviously, we're talking about a kingly lineage, a house, but the house of David not only confirms the knowledge of David as a king over Israel, but the time period that we're talking about. So this really confirms the biblical account of the war um, and who was involved in the war and in existence during the biblical time period being discussed. So again, previous historians thought this, but they couldn't confirm it until this new technology came about. Um, previously known to be written on the style were a series of historically important pieces of information alongside this. And not to mention on the style also is the earliest known reference to the Hebrew God, Yahweh. 
Understanding of the stell previous to the work done with reflectance transformation imaging had already found that, and I quote this from the New World Encyclopedia. So what they are, this is stuff they already knew was on the stell. Um, I quote, the inscription has strong consistency with the historical events recorded in the Hebrew Bible, as several events, names, and places mentioned in the Mesha stel correspond to those mentioned in biblical accounts. For example, Mesha himself is recorded as the king of Moab and tributary to Israel in 2 Kings 3, 4, which we just read. The god Chemosh is mentioned in numerous places in the Bible as the national god of Moab. So let's go to a couple of those locations. In 1 Kings 11.33, it says this, I will do this because they have forsaken me and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Molech, the god of the Ammonites, and have not walked in obedience to me, nor done what is right in my eyes, nor kept my decrees and laws as David, Solomon's father, did. There's also a reference to Chemosh in Numbers 21:29, which says this, Woe to you, Moab! You are destroyed, people of Chemosh. He has given up his sons as fugitives and his daughters as captives to Sihon, king of the Amorites. So this stele mentions the god Chemosh alongside Mesha, the king of the Moabites. And we have the Bible in many locations mentioning the Moabites and this god that they served. So now we have this archaeological evidence that the Bible's account of these people, the Moabite people and their God, is accurate. The reign of Omri is chronicled in 1 Kings 16, and the Mesha inscription records many places and territories that also appear in the Bible. Finally, 2 Kings 3 recounts a revolt by Mesha against Israel, to which Israel responded by allying with Judah and Edom to attempt to suppress the revolt. So there's our specifics that are in this stall that match the biblical story. So some scholars have argued that an inconsistency exists between the Meshastel and the Bible regarding the timing of this rebellion. Okay, here is where the atheists come in. This is this was like the the argument I came across time and again when I was reading their big problems with scripture. Here we go. The argument rests upon the assumption that the inscription's reference to Omri's son means Ahab, while the Bible speaks of the revolt taking place during the reign of Omri's grandson, Jehoram of Israel. The accounts can be reconciled, however, by assuming that son means descendant, an interpretation consistent with the common use of language in the ancient Near East. Okay, so here's the deal. Um, lineages, son, daughter, grandson, granddaughter, the, the word for those, for grandson and son, are the same word in the ancient Hebrew language. And so sometimes when it says son, it just means a descendant of Okay, or or daughter, it just means a descendant of. So if you're getting all mixed up and getting all tied up around this concept that, well, you know, it said it's his son, but really when the name comes up, it should have been his grandson. That's not a problem, actually. In the ancient Hebrew language, that the, the words were the same. It's unfortunate that in English, um, they didn't really always translate those, you know, they didn't go in and do all the detailed work to figure out, is this a grandson or a son? They would just translate translated son oftentimes, just referencing kind of a descendant, right? And we're, if we're all sons and daughters of God, like, you know, how many lineages of people have there been since Adam? A lot, right? So it's not really that big of a deal, but I find that atheists make that a huge deal. And we need to um, be able to straighten that out uh, accurately. 
And I've talked about that issue before. Um, so if you want to go back and listen to some of my podcasts, you'll get some more information on that. Um, so we have this amazing meshestel that now it's been discovered through this new technology does indeed reference the house of David and that lineage fighting against the Moab King Mesha. Now, um, what I think is interesting is the Stell's version of the story is not exactly the biblical version of the story. Okay. Just like all the traditions of almost all the cultures at that time, except for the Israelites, the Stell is favorable in its account of its own king, of course. Now, the biblical accounts have God intervening on behalf of the Israelites and the Israelites winning in this particular situation, including the involvement of Elisha and kind of a miraculous situation happening where, you know, the Moabites thought that the water looked like blood and it caused them to behave in a particular way that caused them to lose the battle. That's not what the Stell recounts at the very end of it. But here's the thing. Um there really weren't peoples on the earth that ever spoke badly about themselves. They didn't write badly about their kings. You know, they were always the winners. They were always victorious. That's That was just the culture of the day. And in fact, many historians and scholars revere the Bible for this very reason. It's one of the only ancient historical documents of people on the earth at the time who are honest. You know, they, they honestly lose sometimes. They honestly sin. They honestly dis please their God. They honestly make gigantic mistakes. And, you know, the whole book of Judges is just a disaster of people doing horrible things. And God wanted those accounts written down. Now, why would God want all those accounts written down of the people he supposedly chose? Well, I think we can understand now. We need an honest accounting. We need an honest historical record. We need to really know, you know, is God truly merciful? Does he really love us? Is he really forgiving? And will will he really take us on when we are a mess? And the answer is yes. He really does love us. He really does forgive us. He really will take us on even when we're a mess. And he really will bring us into more likeness of who he is. Because that's what we see in the biblical accounts. But those accounts, given the way they are, were completely rare in the time period that they were written. That just was not how ancient cultures treated the stories of themselves or their king. And so we shouldn't be surprised that the stell doesn't exactly end, the story doesn't end the same as the biblical account. But what we do have for sure on the stell is confirmation that the Moabites encountered the nation of Israel and the house of David. This is a big deal. Um, and once again, it's confirmation that the biblical story is accurate. It is giving you real history. These things really happened. These people really existed. This is, I, I find this so essential because it's not just atheists who are destroying biblical history. There are a lot of believers nowadays who call themselves Christian, who believe that much of the Old Testament is mythology and refuse to take a literal reading of those stories. That is a gigantic mistake. Because, you know, and I've mentioned this before in John, Yeshua says, if you would believe Moses, you would believe in me, but you don't believe Moses. So how can you believe in me? If you don't believe the stories that Moses wrote down, you cannot believe in Yeshua. 
He is the reason he came because of those stories. If you don't understand those stories and believe them to be true, you cannot accept the Messiah. This is a pretty this is a pretty big deal and I think Christians need to take this more seriously. Now, it's okay to treat if you're willing to take a literal approach to the stories, it's okay to also view them as poetic and um, view them in some ways the way we see mythology. Now, I think, listen, I think mythology might be filled with a lot of accuracies as well. And here's why. We have the accounts of Noah. And in the accounts of Noah, there are these strange, there's this strange story about the sons of God, basically angels of some sort, coming into the daughters of men and having children called the Nephilim. We know that there were giants in scripture. It's not just Goliath. The Philistines were giants. You have King Og of Bashan, who was said to be 15 feet tall. And we have historical records of giants on the planet all over the place. There were kind of mythological style men in existence on the planet. And so when you get these great stories of heroes, you know, the Bible calls them men of renown, the men of old, you know, the men of renown. There were stories about these guys. These were creatures, you know, that roamed the earth and they were scary. And so I think we may have a lot of mythology out there built around stories passed down from these really odd time periods on the planet when there were giants that walked the earth. And I think, you know, that'll definitely be something I go dig into because I've seen in the past that there was maybe um, some evidence that had been dug up in the past of giants and there's been evidences found, but they've been quickly kind of um, quieted. And part of that might be because it's just too obvious that the Bible is true once you get into discovering that sort of thing. Or it might be that they're fake. I don't know. I I know that a lot of the stuff that's come out of China, a lot of the so-called discoveries out of China have been really fake. And you have to be careful. And so, guys, I'm trying to be careful with the evidences I bring you. There are lots and lots of um, documentation around the two that I've done so far. And you can go and look them up on your own. Um, There's a difference between evidence and proof also. I'm showing you evidence. I've called this the proofs series because I think taken in as a whole, everything I'm going to present to you, you could say we really do kind of have proof. But Proof and evidence are not exactly the same thing. Proof is completely undeniable. No one could ever say it's 100% fact, right? No one could ever say otherwise. Evidence is you're building the case. And so hopefully with the series, you understand I'm building a case for you. But um, back to the point I was making, I think... I think it's okay once you take a literal view of the Bible to also understand that there is a cultural piece to how the writing took place. There's a poetic piece to how the writing took place. There's all sorts of, there are stories in the Bible. The parables are a good example that aren't like historical stories. They're stories that are told to convey a message, right? They're um, to make a point. So again, the parables are a great example of that. So you have to be careful when you say everything is literal. No, that's not that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is these stories of the kings and the wars and the battles and the flood and, and the um, so much 
is literal. And you cannot just go and say that that's mythology, especially with these evidences that I am starting to share with you all. All right. I hope today was interesting for you and helpful. I will be back next week with a new piece of evidence and another Bible study. Till next week.